I want to get right into this. Today, you know, I have a very sort of interesting title to this sermon. And uh, this is sort of going to be like the bridge between Stay Woke and then the Resurrection, you know, Broadway series that Pastor Santoro will begin next week. But today, we're going to talk about, you notice how all the, you know, we're bombarding God with all these prayers, right? But today, I'm going to talk about when God prays towards us, okay? When God prays towards us. Now, don't get all religious. I mean, something like, that's not scriptural. I know. So you don't have to tell me. Okay, but we'll get into what I mean by that title. So my question to you this morning is, have you been ushered into the presence of God? Only 10 of you. Let's try that again. Have you been ushered into the presence of God? So does that mean you're ready to receive the word? The word? Even if you don't like it? Oh, I like this crowd. All right. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and usher will bring one to you. Let's just go right before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that your presence is here. And the reason why your presence is here is because we brought you with us, Lord, as temples of the Holy Ghost. So we pray, Lord, that today our minds right now are completely in tune. I come against any distraction, O Lord, so that we can receive your complete, unadulterated word that will be planted in our lives to such an extent that it helps our minds to get renewed and it alters some of our priorities. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, get ready. God is about to talk to you. Go ahead. I'm not God now. I'm just a messenger. All right. So you may be seated. God prayers towards us. Prayer is something that potentially goes both ways, right? And this is why I sort of humorously titled entitled my sermon, God Prayers Towards Us. Now, like I said, you know, you're not going to find scripture that will substantiate that. However, one of the things we do in prayer is ask God to do things for us. And in turn, God has plenty of things that he would ask us to do for him. And in that sense, God is sort of trying to pray towards us. He's trying to get our attention. But remember this rule always, okay? We always have to be praying with God's will in mind. So anything that he asks of us would be his will for us. Amen? I want to repeat that. Just like when we make requests and petitions and prayer requests unto him, it always has to flow within his will. So anything that he's going to ask of us, it's going to be his will for us. So that means that to know his will is pretty important. One of the things that fascinates me is people's thinking that God can do anything he wants. Okay, And as you know, that is not true. How many of you know that if God can do anything he wanted... Every single chair in this sanctuary, 9 o'clock, 6 p.m., and who knows how many more services will be filled. Can I hear any man out there? Because even if he had to pull you by the air and drag you to church, he will drag you to church. But that's not the way God operates, okay? He's not going to usurp his authority over your will. One of the things that we're going to learn is that God is a God of order, and he runs on principles, and he does not run on emotion. God runs on principles. Everybody said the word principles. And because he runs on principles, this is precisely why he can be trusted. He's not going to change. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. His word is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And because his word is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, he can be trusted. He does not change. Okay? Any decision 
made based on emotions will always end up on the wrong side of the intent of why that decision was made in the first place. I mean, today we see more and more decisions being made solely on emotions rather than intellect. Can I ask you a question? How many of us have ever made a decision based on emotion and then you regret it? In one of those stir-of-the-moment things where you just kind of made a decision, you said something, did something because it felt good, or maybe you were angry, or whatever the case. Because once you throw it out there, how many know you can't take it back, right? Although you can't please everyone, but certainly most of the time, decisions made solely on emotion will have a negative effect on the majority of people that had nothing to do with the emotional issue in the first place. This is why the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4, 6 and 7. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. Everybody say, in everything. Here comes the guide. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Say thanksgiving. Now, if you want to make a note here, the word thanksgiving there is referring to an attitude. Is referring to an attitude. So even as we come before God, before Christ, whether in worship or prayer, our attitude has to be one of thanksgiving. But then it goes on to say, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard. That word guard, by the way, means filter. That means God will help you think before you say. Amen? Let me say it again. God will help you. Because how many know we need to think before we say Because some of us say before we think, and it gets us in a lot of trouble. You know, we just say it, and we didn't talk about it. But isn't it great that as you renew your mind with the word of God, God will help you think before you say it. That's why it says, we'll guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Proverbs 29.11 says, a fool gives full vent to his spirit. Notice not the spirit, but his spirit. But a wise man, or a woman for that matter, quietly holds it back. Proverbs 15, 18, a hot-tempered man, and how many know that we do have hot-tempered women? Yeah, okay, all right. A hot-tempered man stirs up a little strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Is this helping anybody already? You know, sermon listening can be therapeutic, can it? You know, you sit back, wow, yeah, that's, that's good, good wisdom right there, okay? So, in the movie Bruce Almighty, what you just saw, the guy who gets to be God for a few days sees how overwhelming it is to hear all these prayers and deal with them. So as a human, right, running on emotion, if you saw the movie, by the way, it's a great movie, you should watch it, right? You find out that he decides to say yes automatically to all the prayer requests. Because if you, if you watch the end of the clip, he actually says, say yes to all. And you know what happened, right, in the movie? The whole world turned into chaos. How many know that God can't say yes to everything? You know, he's going to filter a few things, okay? But let's turn the page for a moment. And what if we found out that God actually makes prayer requests towards us, okay? Except for with God, they're not prayer requests. They are commands that he hopes you and me would respond to. So just like when we pray to God with requests, petitions, and at times commands, because I know that sometimes some of us have the, have, you know, sometimes have the dareness to command God. God also has requests, petitions, and commands towards us, okay? It's like when we make requests, petitions, and commands to our kids. Anybody ever make requests, petitions, and commands to our kids, and it seems like they're not listening? 
right? Even after you do it over and over and over again, and finally, maybe around the fourth time, they finally get it and they finally respond, right? Sometimes we get frustrated when it seems God is not answering our prayers, but let's not forget one of the most overlooked keys to answered prayer. Let me ask you a question. How many of us want answered prayer? Okay, now I want you to get a little Pentecostal on me. See, you, did, you guys gave me the Southern Baptist response, right? I want you to give me the Pentecostal response. How many want to answer prayer? Yeah. Now, if you're right at home, see that? Okay. Here's the problem. Are you ready? This, this is going to rattle you, and I hope you don't get mad at me. The problem is we pray too much. And that's why we don't get a lot of answered prayer. And you're, some of you are looking at me like a raccoon looks at headlights when they're, when they're looking at it, right? You're like, what? Yeah, because here's the thing. And believe me, you know, anybody who knows me knows that I will prove everything scripturally, right? Here's the thing. One of the most overlooked keys to answered prayer, write it down, is active faith. Okay? Everybody say active faith. Okay, you're going to learn today before you leave here that if you want answered prayer, this is one of the most important keys. Why? Because active faith is demonstrated when we respond to God's requests, petitions, and commands based on what we have heard. Everybody say heard. And you're going to hear me say that word about 10 times today. Because we need to finally get this. You know, I mean, think about what scripture says. Faith comes by. Hearing, there you go, okay? Faith comes by hearing. So listen, active faith, okay, is demonstrated when we respond to God's requests, petitions, and commands based on what we have heard. That's why Matthew 6, says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be what? Given to you as well. I find it interesting that the key to answered prayer is to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So we need to learn what that means. When you think about kingdom, for example, you know, so with kingdom, we're talking about a location, okay? We are talking about a transition that takes place in our lives once we become born again. Righteousness, however, is right living according to God, not according to our rules. How many know that he makes the rules, not you? And it's sad that some people, you know, come to church and they might hear, you know, sermon after sermon, read the word of God. But they still want to sort of like uh, reinterpret things, if you will, to sort of accommodate things for themselves. And that's not the way it works. Righteousness is right living according to God, not according to our rules. Kingdom is understanding that when you become born again, you've transitioned to a new location. That's why when it says seek first his kingdom, we're talking about location. When it says seek first his righteousness, we're talking about right living. And when we do that, he says, I'll answer your prayers. Is anybody getting this this morning? Man, we could close the sermon right there and go home. But I got too much to tell you this morning. So let me keep going here. Okay. John 17, 14 sums it up this way. I have given them your word, which is the guide, right? I have given them your word. It's the guide for righteous living. And the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. But check this out. Here's a little mini revelation that we can pull out of there. They don't, how many know that there's plenty of people out there that know Jesus 
and maybe even know that somebody else knows that they know Jesus, but they don't necessarily hate them or they're not uncomfortable with them. But when you begin to speak the word, that's when it becomes uncomfortable. Are you hearing me this morning? When you begin to reveal who Jesus is, that's when it begins to become uncomfortable. Can I tell you something? God's word is like a prayer manual for humanity. And that means this is how he communicates with us 90% of the time. 90% of the time, God will communicate to us through his word. Don't give me this, you know, well, you know, God speaks to me audibly. Well, you must be special. Because that's, that's not the way he communicates all the time. He might plant something in your heart and your mind. But in the end, how I many know that you still got to go to the word? Watch this to make sure that what you're hearing is his voice and not the enemy's voice. I'm going to tell you right now, there are too many Christians entertaining the enemy's voice. Now, watch this. You might get spooked by that. Or you might say, oh, not me. Right? Well, let me ask you a question. If you are not prioritizing the great commission and the great command, Satan has you way too busy. Boy, I got a lot of ugly looks on that one, man. That's good, though. See? Because we need to get real. We need to understand what is a priority for Christ. What is a true priority for God? And we have to be careful that we get so busy, watch this, doing things, not bad things, not evil things, not sinful things. But we get so busy doing things that we use that as the excuse not to get uncomfortable. Oh, I'm just too busy doing things. Well, uh, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but let, let's keep going here. Okay? So remember what I said. Okay? Um, let's see then, because when you look at this, let's see how we fare with God's prayer towards us. Let's see how well we have been answering them to see if perhaps that may be having an impact with why some of our prayers to him don't seem to be getting answered. Remember, God is a God of order. Everybody say order. So it's important that we learn what that order is. So his first prayer request towards man is that he requires all men and women everywhere to repent. Everybody say repent. It seems like lately we're afraid to use that word. Yet it is the word that Jesus Christ uses. So if somebody were to ask me, what do I need to do to have a relationship with God? I'm going to say, or with Jesus even for that matter, I'm going to say, well, you need to be born again. And if somebody were to ask me, well, what do I need to do to be born again? I'm going to say, well, you need to repent. Well, why should I repent? Because that's what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is where? Is at hand. It's here right now. But to get in, you got to repent. Repent, by the way, is turning from your old self to begin being the new self in Christ Jesus. And that is how you know you have initiated being born again. So if you have been born again, one of the things that we're going to discover in Scripture, that every single person that had a true encounter with Christ was never the same. Are you hearing me? They They were never the same. Something actually changed. That's why from time to time, I will throw this challenge out here. You're coming to, we hope that you're coming to Faith Church, not because you just like Faith Church. 
We hope that you come to Faith Church because maybe when you heard a message for the first time, okay, all of a sudden it sort of made sense. Something woke up inside of you and then you realize, man, all this time I've been outside of his kingdom. I want to get inside the kingdom. And the way you get inside the kingdom is not becoming a faith, a member of faith church, not making, making it think like we're the only church. The way you get into that kingdom is become born again and you repent. That's why Jesus taught in John 3, 3, Jesus replied, verily, verily, I tell you, no one can see. No one can see. Okay. And when he uses the word see, he's saying no one will see the new kingdom. No one will understand the way of living. No one will understand my way of thinking. Okay. No one can see the kingdom of God. Unless they are born again. So let me tell you something. If you have a belief that there's a God. And if you have a belief that Jesus Christ is his son. Religion will not get you close to him. The only thing that can get you close to him. Is if you respond to his first prayer request to humanity. And that is you must repent if you want to enter into his kingdom. There's a kingdom that we spiritually enter into now and then there's a kingdom that we physically enter into later how many are waiting for that kingdom that we physically enter into later you know that's going to take place when the rapture takes place when the church is lifted up how many are waiting for that rapture to take place how many want it to happen now listen i want it to happen now if you don't want that's your problem i want to how many are ready to go i'm ready to go been preaching the rapture now for 46 years. Believe me, I am ready to go. I'm going to give you an opportunity to join us. And if you reject it, that's on you. That is not on me. And I'm not trying to be hard or, you know, I'm, I'm, anybody knows me, I'm very passionate when I preach. But I'm just going to be saying it's truth. If you want to come on this ship, you need to be born again. And you need to repent. But that word is not really heard a lot lately. Prayer will be something that relates to the spiritual kingdom now. Because after the resurrection, it's all about worship more than prayer. It's going to be all about worship. And can I be brutally honest with you? Some may not like what I'm about to say. but And I want to quote that famous theologian Frank Vig in case you don't know him. Okay. We like spending more time in worship than in prayer because worship doesn't end up demanding anything from us, but prayer does. Do you hear what I just said? Worship doesn't demand anything. Let me, let me prove it to you. How many of you know that we're very comfortable here? Can I hear any men out there? Why are we comfortable? Because we're all here in one accord, in one mind, one purpose. How many came to worship? Amen? Okay, I need the Pentecostal response. How many came to worship? Ah, there you go. The Southern Baptist just turned Pentecostal. That's great. Okay, so how many came to hear the word of God? How many are comfortable? You can say yes, it's okay. Everybody like, it's a trick question. I know Pastor Vega. <laughs> right? right? We're, we're comfortable here. Jesus wants you to get uncomfortable. So we come here, yes, to worship collectively, but it's also to become equipped. Now, here's the thing. If worship leads you into the presence of God, what do you think you're going to find there? What do you think you're going to find? There's only one thing that we should find here. Are you ready? Because we're not in heaven yet. So when we get to heaven and we're worshiping, we're right there. We're, I mean, we're like face to face with Jesus, right? But when you worship and you enter into the presence of God, that should create a hunger to want to hear his word or read his word. 
Because you're in the presence. It's like, watch this. It's like me being in the presence of my wife, right? And I'm recognizing her. And I'll say, oh, honey, how are you today? Oh, that's great. You know, that's great. And we sit down and we both have a cup of coffee in our hands. And all we do is stare at each other. It's like, awkward. Yeah, it is awkward, isn't it? You know, we did our worship, right? Oh, honey, how are you? How was your day? Okay, yeah, my day was fine too. How's the weather outside? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So think about it. So when you get before the presence of God, there's a time of worship, but there's a time when now, man, God, what, how, what, what, tell me something. Are you hear what I'm saying? Tell me something. And he's talking to you right now. Say amen, somebody. Okay. So back to the sermon, though. When you become born again, you become righteous. So now that he has made you righteous, you can begin to track towards righteous living. That's why in Psalm 34, verse 17, he says, the righteous cry out. And the Lord, what does he do? He hears them. Key. There's a key there. So if you want, how many want God to hear you? Right? Then you got to get righteous. How do you become righteous? You got to be born again. How do you become born again? You got to repent. That's called order. Everybody say order. And I'm pretty sure everybody here is intelligent. Amen? Okay, 10 of you are intelligent. All right, that's good. That's all right. I'll take the 10. Everybody here was intelligent enough to understand exactly how I spelled out that order. See, this is not, well, let me think about it. No, there's nothing to think about it. God is yes or no. He's not like, uh, he doesn't, God doesn't give suggestions because if God were to give suggestions, that would make him imperfect. No, he gives commands. That's why he gives, the reason why he gives commands is because he's perfect. He knows what you need more than you know yourself. Can you, can, can I say her name on that one? He knows what you need more than you know yourself. That's why you got to get to know them. When you get to know him, you will trust him. Prayer request number two, write it down. He says, follow me. Here, now, the, the more I get into this sermon, the more uncomfortable it's going to get. And that's the goal, by the way. Okay? Prayer, prayer request number two, he says, follow me. Matthew 4.19. And he said unto them, follow me, and I will make you what? Fishers of men. So, we, we, we respond, and here's the result. He says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Notice clearly what the request is and what the result should be. It says, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. Not follow me and I will make you a Christian. Not follow me and I will make you a worshiper. Not follow me and I'll make everything all right. No. He says, follow me and I will make you what? A fisher of men. In other words, this is where it gets a little uncomfortable. Nothing wrong with being a Christian. It's comfortable. But remember, it's just a label. Always remember that. Oh. Pastor Frank, how can you say that? I'll tell you why. Because 240 million people in the United States of America claim to be a Christian. 240 million. Can you imagine if we had 240 repented, born-again, spirit-filled Christians? I guarantee you every single person in the White House would be speaking in tongues. Are you hearing me? So be careful with the label. The label doesn't get you to heaven. It's repentance that gets you to heaven. The label doesn't get you to heaven. It's being born again is what gets you to heaven. Anybody can call themselves anything they want. But Jesus is looking for evidence. He's looking for the evidence. You know, we don't earn salvation, 
but there certainly is an evidence that it has taken place. And I'm going to give you a few examples of that in just a second. Okay, you remember the rich young ruler, right? The rich young ruler, man, he thought he had it all down, right? You know, he wasn't really looking for Jesus, by the way. He just happened to come across him. And he's like, oh, there's Jesus. Let me let him know what I've been up to lately, right? And he says, uh, you know, it wasn't like the Lord called him. Isn't it interesting that you're going to find in Scripture some people the Lord called, right? And then some people just wanted to prove something. So the rich young ruler approaches Jesus, right? And he tells him that, hey, man, I have kept all those commandments you mentioned. I've been following them since I was a kid. Here is the translation. I have been a good guy all my life, even though I have not been coming to church. But I've been a good guy, okay? Even though I haven't really been listening to you, but I've still been a good guy sort of since I kind of known that you showed up, right? Jesus wasn't having it. What did Jesus say? He said, "Uh uh-uh. You're missing one thing. If you want to be a true follower of Jesus, he said, get uncomfortable for a moment. Sell everything you have because you depend on the riches. You like that attention. You like being pat on the back. Let's see if you really want to follow me. Get uncomfortable. And for that rich young ruler, it's releasing what he had. And he wasn't willing to do that. And the discomfort that I'm referring to, by the way, is the risk involved with following Jesus. Write that word down. Risk. Yes, there is risk involved in following Jesus. Sometimes I wonder what impression people get uh, really or what impression people really get of Jesus when you talk about him publicly. So when you talk about Jesus publicly, right, what impression are they getting of Jesus? Are they still getting the baby Jesus version in the manger or are they getting the man Jesus that died on the cross for all of our sins? What version of Jesus are they getting? How many know that Easter's right around the corner? So they're going to get plenty of Jesus on the cross in the next few weeks, okay? But here's the thing. There is a risk to following Jesus. Why do you think, for example, he was kicked out of our schools? He's being kicked out of our governments. He's being kicked out of all the public places. Why? Because there's a risk in following Jesus. There absolutely is a risk in following Jesus, Okay? And here's the thing, right? Uh, the world, if you think about it, they sort of have this love-hate relationship with Jesus, right? They like the Jesus that is all about love, but forget about the Jesus that suffered on the cross that deals with our sin. That's the Jesus they don't want to hear about, okay? Even though the Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, he says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to also suffer for him. Say, suffer for him. Now, I don't want to go extreme with that, you know, because Paul, check this out now, he was addressing all of the believers from the church of Philippi. So he was not just talking to apostles or certain disciples. He was talking to the church when he made this statement. Following him will require some risk taken and the cost of even suffering some consequences. Now, I'm not talking about martyrdom. Thank God we live in the United States of America. Can I hear any men out there? And praise God. God, man, for those that do pay the price in different parts of the world, far more greater than what we have to pay here. The kind that will, I'm talking about the kind of risk that might cause you, for example, to lose a few friends along the way. Not all of them, but maybe a few. The kind of risk that's going to change your priority. I'm going to tell you right now, 
If after you became born again, you repented, the Holy Spirit is indwelled in you. If your itinerary, your schedule has not been altered to sort of prioritize Jesus, I will tell you right now, something is missing. If you just made this a church thing where, well, yeah, I go to church. I was going to that church, but now I come to this church because this church is nice. That's just geography. Are you hearing me? That's all that is. So, leave the Catholics alone. You are no different. Somebody's like, oh, I knew I shouldn't have came to church today. No, maybe you should because this is what you need to hear. Okay? It's about change. The change that starts here and then it reveals itself. This is why Paul said in Philippians 3.12, he says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on. Everybody say, press on. Say, I press on to possess that perfection of which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us out. Folks, can I tell you something? How many of you that's talking a lot more than just coming to church? Talking about impacting your life. So since you became born again, what have you been pressing towards as it relates to the kingdom of God? To press on and follow Jesus implies taking some risk. And when we take risk for Jesus, this is when we become a real somebody in the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, you become a real somebody when you are recognized by the king of kings and the lord of lords. I'm going to give you three quick examples of three people mentioned in the Bible. They're not big names. They're your average, maybe I want to call them average believers like you and me. But yet, because they exercise active faith, okay, they got their prayers heard. I want you to think about this, okay? Because they, these weren't even seasoned believers. These weren't even people that were in church all their lives, okay? But watch what happens when a person really commits to hearing who Jesus is. Let's start with Zacchaeus. Y'all remember the story of Zacchaeus? If you went to Sunday school, you know who Zacchaeus is because he's the guy we always make fun of because he was short, right? Zacchaeus, he was a tax collector. I find it interesting that when Jesus encounters Zacchaeus, and I'm going to get a little deeper with this later on. I just want to give you the intro of each story. He says, man, salvation has come to this house. Why has salvation come to the house of Zacchaeus? Get to that in a moment. How about the centurion soldier? To the centurion soldier, he says, I have not seen such a greater faith in all of Israel. Okay? What was it about this centurion soldier? How many know that Jesus does not exaggerate? So when he makes a statement, he makes it for a reason. What was it that caused Jesus to say, I have not seen greater faith in all Israel than what's being demonstrated by this man. But then there's the woman of the issue of blood. Where Jesus says to her, not my faith, but your faith has made you well. Now, three different examples. However, they're all going to land on the same spot as to what triggered 
the miracle that took place in all three of these individuals' lives. So all these three individuals, one of the things that they did do, which is consistent, is that they took great risk to publicly acknowledge Jesus for who he was. And what was that risk? Well, let's look at their story. Now we go to Zacchaeus. We all know that Zacchaeus was a dishonest tax collector. And he risked ridicule from the community. And I'm sure there were plenty of doubters. That's why when you look at his story in Luke chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. How did he get wealthy? (laughs) Ripping everybody else off, right? Okay. So this guy was hated. But yet, look what happens. Verse 3. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Here's what Zacchaeus did, which was interesting. He went above and beyond to want to know Jesus. And this is what got Jesus' attention. But the story gets even better. Verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up, said to Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once, welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. Uh, English translation, they began to gossip. They're saying... What is Jesus doing going into this guy's house? I imagine even disciples were a little nervous about going in there. They're probably like, Jesus, you go in and we'll wait for you outside, right? Because they know the reputation this guy had. But here's the key. Are you ready? And listen carefully to what Zacchaeus says. And remember, he is meeting Jesus for the very first time. He's having a face-to-face Jesus has not said anything up to this point, but watch what comes out of Zacchaeus' mouth. It says, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor and I've cheated. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. He did not say, Jesus, can I say the sinner's prayer and I can be saved? Here's what everybody, and I'm telling you right now, this is not an exaggeration what I'm about to say. Here's what everybody misses about that story. Zacchaeus was already a changed man. He hadn't met Jesus yet, you know. But so the question is, how did, what a transformation. Now, he didn't know scripture. The guy didn't even study the Torah. He only knew what he knew. But he heard enough about Jesus that it had already changed his life. And so because he heard about him, now he's like, I want to meet this man. I'm hearing about him. I'm hearing about him. I'm getting convicted by him. Okay. Uh, And I realize I'm wrong. I know I need to repent. Not sure how to do it. Let me see if I can meet this man. Matter of fact, let me start doing some good things. I, I, I don't know. Okay. You know, I ripped off a lot of people. Let me give that money back. He is demonstrating change without having a front-to-front encounter because he heard about Jesus. My question to you this morning, what have you been hearing about Jesus lately that's causing you to change? Are you hearing me? Already a changed person. But let's go to another story, okay? The centurion soldier who risked retaliation from his own government for seeking the help of the enemy of the state. 
Because we all know the story between the Jews and the Romans, right? But look what it says in Luke chapter 7, verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion uh, servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion, uh uh-oh, here it comes, heard of who? Heard of who? All he did was heard of Jesus. Now look how the story goes. And so he sent elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. He's demonstrated love for the Jews to the extent that he feels compelled to build them a synagogue. And all he has done was what? Heard of Jesus. Hasn't encountered him yet. But I love what happens when he finally has this encounter. Verse 6. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house. When the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. This is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word. Everybody say, say the word. Say the word, and my servant will be healed. Now, here's another little nugget. That everybody seems to miss. Verse 9. You got to love this. It says, when Jesus heard, who's listening this time? Come on. Who's listening this time? (laughs) Look at Jesus' reaction. So when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And here it comes already. And turning to the crowd. In other words, let me illustrate this for you. This is like the Pastor Vega one-man production show right here. You ready? So... This guy is running towards Jesus. He's telling them what you just read, what we just read. And Jesus, like, he didn't look at him and say, wow, what great faith. The Bible says he turned to the crowd. Question, who made up the crowd that day? Somebody said it. Who made up the crowd that day? The disciples and the apostles. And look what he tells them. He doesn't tell this to the centurion. The Bible says he physically turns around, looks at all these spiritual people, okay? And he says, I tell you, I have not found such a great faith even in all Israel. Then the man who had been sent returned to the house and found his servant well. All based on what he had what? Heard. Jesus says, Look at the faith this guy is demonstrating. And he only has heard. But let's go to the last story. The woman of the issue of blood. What risk did she take? Well, if you study Jewish law, I have not, but I'm just going to highlight a law here. Okay, The Jewish law declared her to be ceremonially unclean due to her bleeding issue. That's Leviticus chapter 15. You can go read that on your own. So she is ceremonially, ceremonially declared unclean. That means she can't be in public. That means she can't be near anybody. That means that if she goes out there in public, how many know she's taking a huge risk, right? Huge risk. So here's what it says in Mark chapter 5, verse 25. It says, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She has suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and has spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse when she heard about Jesus. Everybody say heard. There is that word yet again. 
When she heard, she has not met him face to face yet. But when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd, touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that that she was freed from her suffering. Now think about this. Due to the greatness of the crowd, it took determination. It took desperation for this woman to press through that mass of people to just simply touch Jesus. What are we seeing that is consistent with all three of these individuals? Okay, first of all, write it down. We're seeing active faith. Why? Because they all acted on what they heard and it resulted in an encounter with the man. Can I tell you something? When I tell you, you need to be born again. When I tell you, Jesus says, unless a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. When you hear that and you respond to that, you have an encounter with the man. You have your one-on-one with him. You meet Jesus. Oh, please listen to this. You don't meet Jesus when you come to church. No. You meet Jesus when you surrender your life to him. You meet Jesus when you practice active faith. You know, active faith is, you know, faith is acting upon what you believe. Not, faith is not, you know, acting upon, belief, you know, you don't just act, you don't just hear it, but you act upon it. And when you act upon it, like these folks did, taking the risk, all of a sudden you have a one-on-one encounter with the man. Because answered prayer is based on them seeking. It wasn't that they were praying to Jesus. I want you to think about this. Man, this is great. It wasn't that they were praying. None of these guys were praying. Think about it. But they were seeking. I want to know who Jesus is. Because if I get to know who he is, I know he'll take care of me. I just, I just want to know who he is. I want to know all this that I'm hearing. Okay? All right? Answer prayer is based on seeking. He wanted the woman and the crowd to know. You notice that every time there was a miracle, Jesus had no problem announcing it. Right? To Zacchaeus, he announced to the whole house, salvation has come to this house. The centurion surger turns around to the crowd. Man, I have not seen such great faith. And to the woman who was healed, we all know the story. Jesus is like, who touched me? He wasn't like, hey, Peter, come here. I felt like faith was released here. Do, do, you know, anybody praying out there? No. He said, who touched me? Let me tell you why he said that, though. He wanted the woman and the crowd to know that his garments had not caused her to be healed, but the strength of her faith. It was the strength of her faith. You notice how all these people, they were not pastors. They were not evangelists. They're not prophets. They're not teachers. They're not apostles. Okay? But yet their names and their story ended up in the word of God to impact us here today. Just average believers being risk takers based on what they have what? On what they have heard. And the beauty of all of this is that this puts you and me in the same playing field as a Billy Graham or a Joyce Meyer or Stephen Furtick, Tony Evans, etc. We're all on the same playing field. The question is, do you believe God can use you in the way he wants to use you? Okay, I think, you know, the problem with most people in church lately is that we tend to idol these people too much. Are you hearing what I'm saying? In other words, we, get, we idolize them too much. We think that they're so big that we can never get to that. And I got news for you. It was not meant for you to get to that. It's meant for you to get to wherever God needs you to get you to. Are you hearing me? Wherever God needs to get you to. 
Okay, so be careful that you don't get so overwhelmed by, oh wow, that is what a great ministry, what a big ministry. What? So you're you're like idolizing, you're like starstruck so much that Jesus is saying, uh, what about the great commission and the great command? Okay, Jesus is wondering, well, what are you waiting to do? Sometimes I think we get so spiritually inundated with so much stuff that the more important things we completely forget about. See? Because on the forefront of every single believer has to be the zeal, the desire to, to fulfill the Great Commission and fulfill the Great Command. That has to be on the forefront of every single believer. Let me tell you something. Right now, I am operating in the office of a pastor, maybe potentially a prophet, maybe potentially a teacher, uh, maybe potentially an evangelist. I'm not going to say apostle. That's a whole different thing. Okay? But when I get off this pulpit, okay, what you need to understand is that I am back to being a disciple. In other words, I am back to doing the initial fulfillment that Christ expects from each and every one of us. You know, they call me the home groups guy, right? Well, let me just tell you something. I don't do home groups because it's my job. Okay, it has nothing to do with it being my job. I do home groups because it gives me an opportunity to fulfill the mandate to disciple other people. And I got news for you. That's the mandate for everybody. So what are you doing to intentionally position yourself where you can impact somebody else's life for Jesus? That's what this is all about. That requires risk. That requires a little discomfort. It could be the discomfort of maybe one night you can't watch your favorite show on TV. Listen, I'm going to really mess with you now. It could be the discomfort where you can't put your kids in all the sports programs. Hello, somebody. It could be the discomfort where you really have to go a little out of your way. But in the end, you're fulfilling the call. And when you do that, what are you doing? You're seeking the kingdom. When you do that, what are you doing? You're exercising righteous living. So the Bible says, if you seek the kingdom, exercise righteous living, he'll take care of all your needs. Does anybody believe that this morning? Okay, yes. Real faith demonstrated always operates in the arena of risk. I like what Henry Cloud said. Henry Cloud said, there's very little growth and reward in life without taking risk. As the parable says, the one who buried his treasure in the ground did do it to avoid risk of loss, failure, and disapproval. But in the end, though he reaped all three of these disasters clearly. Here is the revelation. Are you ready? We get rewarded on risk because it's in the risk where faith is demonstrated. Okay? It's in the risk where faith is demonstrated. Now, I'm a very practical person. So you're probably asking, well, what kind of risk should I be taking? Oh, that's easy. The risk of sharing the gospel. Hello, somebody. The risk of opening up your homes and maybe starting a small Bible study. The risk of being a faithful with your tithes and offerings. In other words, releasing some funds. The risk of serving. In other words, what is going to, you know, the risk of getting out of your comfort zone. You got to get out of your comfort zone. That's where the risk begins. And what would have happened? Can you visualize this? What would have happened if each of you decided to maximize your risk potential in Christ? Being a pastor does not maximize my potential in Christ. I believe discipling maximizes my potential in Christ. That's me, though. That is me. But you know what? That could be everyone. Okay? It could be one. It could be three. It could be four. My point is that 
get uncomfortable. Those who bear no fruit for God's kingdom cannot expect to be treated the same as those who are faithful in God's kingdom. Martin Luther put it this way. I love this statement. He says, pray as if everything depends on God, then work as if everything depends on you. Work as if everything depends on you. The last prayer request. Are we learning anything this morning? Here's the last prayer request, and I think you're going to like this one, right? The last prayer request is God says, rejoice. Write it down. Oh, yeah. We all know the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus talked about the beatitudes, right? He said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets that were before you. How many know that? That sounds like taking risks to me. Can I hear any men out there? And you might say, I mean, can you imagine this? God, yes, but they're making fun of me. They're mocking me. They're persecuting me. What should I do? God says, rejoice. How's that for an answer, right? Rejoice. So when you are feeling the heat, and how many know that? Not always, but sometimes we'll get the heat, right? But here's the best part. When you are feeling the heat, man, what does Jesus tell you to do? He says, rejoice. You know why? Because that's where the real worship takes place. When you are feeling the heat. You know, when you're going through stuff. Now, I'm not talking about trials and tribulations. I'm not talking about that. Because listen, whether you're a Christian or not, how many know you're going to go through trials and tribulations? Anybody here ever lost a job and you want a Christian yet? Right? Anybody here ever go through a hardship and you want a Christian yet? So, don't, you know, the trials and tribulations has their place. We're not talking about that kind, of, that kind of heat. I'm talking about the kind of heat where, you know, somebody calls you out. And say, do you go to faith church? Are you a Christian? You know? You know, somebody calls you out. Or maybe there's an opportunity where the Holy Spirit cues you and you have a choice to make. Either you exercise, act in faith, or you hold back and keep it to yourself. He responds with, hey, it's okay. Rejoice because great is your reward in heaven. Do you believe that this morning? Let's summarize. Have you truly repented when you became born again? Has that repentance led you to listen more to God than yourself? Has listening to God through prayer and his word strengthened your faith? And are you acting on that faith by taking risks for kingdom purposes? That needs to be your takeaway. And I pray that this word today will help you process it even throughout the week. And more changes began to take place in your life. Do you believe that this morning with me? Let's stand to our feet. Amen.